Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, thanks for tuning in. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about project management. So uh, something that we don't always get too deep into uh, here on the JetRails podcast, but I've got Matthew uh, here with me from the Leventis team. And we're going to be uh, diving into project management styles and where uh, a lot of the, uh, the industry, as it, it would happen to be, uh, whether it's for um, completely custom projects or whether it's for content management system-based projects, e-commerce projects, where the in- industry has been evolving in recent years. And, uh, and certainly I'll be picking Matthew's brain on, on what's been working uh, for himself and, uh, and the teams he's been involved with. Um, with no further ado, Matthew, uh, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm uh, Matt Recker. I'm from Leventis Incorporated, which is a consulting firm in Illinois. Um, I've been working as an engineer um, as a senior engineer now for about 15 years. Um, before that, I worked in, in publishing um, in sort of operations in a small publishing company, um, then made a switch to, to software engineering. And I've been working mostly, um, you know, I've spent time as a consultant at consulting firms. I've spent time in big corporations, uh, spent time in smaller corporations. So I've been in, in several different places. You know, it, it's always interesting how I, I think in today's day and age, you, know, you can't really plan where you're going to be 10 years out, what the, uh, what the industry is going to look like, what company is going to meld into what and uh, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly where, where we'll all be needed and what capacity. Um, you know, I, I happen to enjoy that part of the industry. And uh, I, I think that that's almost part of the fun these days um, is, you know, that, you know, you plan to be somewhere for a long time, but even what that organization does um, can really evolve through the years. <laughs> yeah, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and speaking of, of evolution, um, in your earlier years in dealing with project management, what type of style uh, was commonly being implemented in the projects that you were involved in? Well, <sighs> When I started out, there was no style um, because it was, like I said, I started out in a publishing company kind of doing some IT stuff and some operational stuff, making sure books got out and published and uh, invoices got sent out and things like that. Um, and, you know, it was just kind of chaos. And so the goal day to day was just do things to bring order to chaos as you could, because this wasn't a big company with tons of resources. So when it came time to figure out a way to ship books out with barcodes, because um, we were self-publishing manuals and teacher's guides and things like that. It was educational publishing. Um, you know, then it became a project where we said, okay, start from scratch, figure out what you're doing. And if it doesn't work, do something else until you got stuff shipped out with barcodes and we could track inventory better. Um, then, you know, I, I you know, it's sort of, sort of a career change. I just sort of full-time went into sort of engineering where that was a sort of a professional thing. I wasn't just working um working somewhere, I was working as an engineer as, as that sort of, I don't know what you call it, that sort of, uh, well, that profession. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, as a consultant, I went to lots of different companies. And in one point, I went to, to JP Morgan Chase. 
And that style was absolutely the opposite of chaos. It was a waterfall method from start to finish to the point of if you were in one phase and you'd exited the previous phase, it was a big deal to talk to anybody about the previous phase. Like it was, it was truly a waterfall. It's one direction. Um, like we've, yeah. we've, we've planned it out and it's going to be executed as it was planned. Uh, it's sort know. of like, you know, if you, if you ever seen like a documentary about like the Panama Canal or something, they've got locks, right? So they raise the water and the ship moves and they lower the water and the ship moves and they raise it again and the ship moves. And imagine having to go back two steps. That's what it felt like. It's lowering the water and moving the ship backwards and raising the water again and moving the ship backwards. And it just really felt like it was the worst thing you could do to say, I got to talk to the person who got the, de did the design because this doesn't make sense. Right. You had to schedule a meeting and to talk to people. And it was, um, you know, it, it's hard to say it didn't work. And this, I think, is the biggest obstacle to doing anything differently, because as you work in an work with waterfall, with that traditional style of project management that goes back to, you know, IBM in the 70s and and developing IT projects back that far, um, you know, you just feel so oppressed, right? But you know, it kind of works, right? We had, it was a really huge project that processed millions and millions of things every day. So it's kind of hard to turn around and say, gee, we should have done this with Agile, right? Well, and um, there's nothing unusual. You know, you hire a contractor to work in your house and you agree yeah. that this is the labor, this is the timeline, this is the work that's going to be completed. And, you know, we're all used to things like that where there's an understanding of what that project flow is going to look like. And what the expectations yeah. are. I think that the problem that comes into play with waterfall is that the expectations are so rigid. And I think this is what the industry is, yeah. has come to, of course, you know, not, not so much about me, um, that when there has to be adjustment for any number of reasons, uh, if things yeah. get very tense and, yeah. you know, and yeah. if you give someone exactly what they wanted or expected on day one, and it's now, let's say a three month project, and what their needs and expectations are may have changed a bit. And that sounds yeah, counterintuitive. Yeah. It's like, but that's what they ordered. But, you know, that's okay when you order food in a restaurant. You expect it to come out the way that you ordered it, you know, a half hour yeah. ago or 20 minutes, whatever a reasonable. I don't know, when's the last time I went to a restaurant under lockdown? Yeah, right? yeah. Um, you know, who remembers anymore? But the, you know, on the flip side, when it's, it's a bigger, more complex project, uh, you know, you until you see something sometime, or or until there's a market shift, you don't even realize that what you're going to really want as your deliverable is going to be a little different. So yeah, people, I, I my my one of, one of the things I always say is people don't know want don't know what they want until they have it. Yeah, and once they have it, they probably want something else. Yeah. And it's just because it's it's not like a restaurant. You can't look at a picture and say I want that and have it come out more or less looking like that. Right? It's not going to look like what the picture is. It's going to you you don't know. You just don't know. Well, imagine um, you were building an e-commerce website before this lockdown, and yeah. now you need curbside checkout. You know, and so yeah, yeah. you know if you were trying to follow a waterfall method and deliver exactly what the original plan was. Um, which often happens, and and there are still absolutely businesses that will say, look, this is the scope of work. We have to finish this first before we can look at anything else, because otherwise it's just going to keep changing, and you know you have a fixed price from us or some other billing model that doesn't really allow for that, um, and we need to be able to get this project off of our workbench because we've got to take on the next ones then, and we can deal with this in phase two or after the fact. Um, right, and right. so sometimes, 
you know, it's in, in other cases, I'd say the opposite, you know, so curbside checkout, something that you'd add, you might say, you know, that's all that we really need right now. And so these other features that we were going to deal with, um, they don't matter as much, uh, right, right. you know, cause you know, we're not so worried about the integration, um, of dealing with in-store returns cause nobody's coming in store to return anything right now. Yeah, yeah, we'll deal with that yeah. one down the road. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, it, I, I think, um, you know, that, that's where people sometimes have a hard time understanding that that's not often the exception to the rule when it comes to the industry that we're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is the rule. It, you know, the rule is that something is going to be in flux and changing. Um, yeah. I mean, lots of things change. Requirements change, technologies change, your capacities change. Um, I mean, there's so much that can change. And so, you know, it... it I think what really made me sort of become a believer in agile, and I've been a scrum master off and on for the last 10 years, scrum master and engineer, um, partly just because they, you know, being a scrum master tends to go to somebody who's like a senior engineer anyway. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not always, but, but often um, it's the kind of thing you can do and be an engineer on a team. Um, so it kind of worked out that way. But I think what really sold me was just thinking back to that first company I was at and how, you know, when we had to figure something out, we ended up getting it done fairly quickly and seeing all the loops, uh, sorry, all the, the hoops people have to jump through to get something done where you've got this rigid process that has to be followed with dates. It just, you just realize they're, 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 we're not going to know how to do this. There's, yeah. there's too many unknowns. There's too many things that can change. There's too many problems that might crop up, much less just having a product that won't quite work. I mean, it, it, it just never made going to see some of these big corporations where we worked in this rigid waterfall model. And we were just, I was as a consultant. So my company sent you know, a team out and we just worked within whatever system they had. Um, you know, seeing it up close, when we started to learn more about Agile as a company and sort of get, get trained so we could so offer as that as a, a project management option uh, to clients for the ones where we're building a whole project out for, um, it just, it just, it was almost immediate. I realized this is, this is how things get done. And it's not so much because, the Agile methodology is so perfect. It's not so much because the Agile manifesto is so wonderful. It's just because if you ever have had to do get something done where you didn't quite know how it was going to get done, but you had a general idea of what it was supposed to look like when you were finished, you were doing Agile, right? Mm -hmm. You didn't even dare say, okay, this is the plan from start to finish for the next month. You said, okay, let's start here and see if we can do this. And maybe you can, maybe you can't. Um, then you moved on to the next thing. Well, maybe we can do this. And when you had someone, you had a problem, you said, well, who knows about X, Y, or Z? Who can handle this? And yet some people who were, you know, stronger at one thing might work on something, the same kind of thing over and over again, the same way someone who's strong at testing tests everything, um, or someone who's strong at getting requirements and talking to customers might go get all the requirements. But still, it was sort of just, you know, here, here's a pile of stuff. We got to construct something out of it. Just, you know, pick a job. And that, that's why I think when people get sold on Agile, I think it's because they have that kind of experience in some way, you know, even, even um, either personal experience, a guided work experience. Uh, one person, a coach we had at our company had the experience of working for, um, I think it was Habitat for Humanity, where they do a lot of prefab type houses. And it was just, you know, they go for a weekend, they go somewhere. And they have a weekend to put together this prefab house. And he just realized when we get it done, it's because we have this sort of agile methodology. You have a ticket, you have a job, you pick it up, you do it, you move on to the next one, you talk a lot, 
you figure out what everyone's doing and it, it, it ends up that agile is a structure. The agile methodology that people get sold and talked about and what, what people go to classes for is a structure that just sort of brings order to what people do when they have to do something well, when they have yeah. to get something done. You know what I mean? Well, it, it's not even- In a lot of ways, it's, not, it's second nature. You know, if, if your boss right, says, right. I need you to get, you know, X done and the next day, you know what? I, I, I know I said this, but it's got to be this way, you know, that, you know, the client's going to expect it to, you do what you have to do. Um, right, and right. I think that that's really all it's, you know, the word agile speaks volumes that it's philosophically, you know, it's built around providing value. So it, what actually needs to happen here for this project to come to fruition for um, whatever stakeholders are involved to, to get the, uh, an appropriate value out of it, to, to see more satisfaction out of it as opposed to less um, when all is said and done, when you, you're, you're trying to measure you know, what, whatever metrics of, of success for a project. You, know, I mean, you talked about being a scrum master, you know, scrum being um, more of a, a methodology to get the stuff done, <laughs> right, right. You know, using the, the agile philosophy. You know, and, and so that's part of where I actually, I love, you know, when people read the manuals and, oh, you know, it has to be done exactly this way. And it's yeah. like, no, no, go back to the, to the word that, that's at the center of all this, agile. It doesn't yeah. have to be yeah. any exact way. There are things that generally work. And so whether you're going to do it, like you mentioned, you know, I, I, I know some that'll say, you know, have a dedicated QA person, but others that, you know, documentation, others that'll say, you know, that the the dev team should be have individuals within the team testing their own work and they should all be learning from each other and right, right. Um, they should be taking turns with that, that it, you know, it really depends on what work you're doing and what your team looks like. And uh, that there is no perfect. There's what works. <laughs> yeah. One of, so uh, among the other sort of rules for agile teams is, you know, when you actually try to put it in practice is that typically it's best if an agile team has one project, right? They're not jumping between seven different things. And I think the reason is because to make this work, you really have to know what you're trying to do. So like when I've stood up teams before and I've stood up three or four different places, it's the first question you have to answer is what are we doing? Like truly, what are we trying to deliver? Because it might not be software, right? The the sort of standard issue issue um what do you call it example that's given in trainings and coaching and, and writing and so on is you know you're going to build a website you're going to build a website and it's going to be public it's going to have users, but you know I, I think out of the hundred projects I've been on maybe ten have been public websites right I mean they're just not that common really when you think about all the different well they're common but I mean they're when you think about all the different things an IT team might have to do um one team had absolutely nothing to do with anything public. It was just all internal console apps and SSIS packages. Another team was devoted entirely to security. Um, other teams were devoted to internal applications where the customer was your colleagues. Mm -hmm. And so you weren't having to think about things like, well, maybe they're using any kind of browser, what kind of demands might they make, what kind of requests might they have. They were just employees like you. Yeah. They had a job to do and you had to help them, right? So um, a lot of those examples kind of break down in the real world. But the fundamental thing is you've got to say, okay, what's this team doing? And then the roles can fall into place. There was no real use for like a traditional QA person when we were doing security stuff um, just because, well, we needed regression testing, but that was it just because these weren't features to test and there was no documentation either. We just 
we weren't documenting anything. We were looking at security issues that we had from various analysis and penetration tests. We had to fix them. We didn't need someone to document it or we didn't need a dedicated person. Yeah. Um, but then other times, you know, we had a process that was so complicated, building it for internal users. We needed three QA people and that wasn't enough. You know, I, you know, as Scrum Master, I kind of stepped in and helped with automated tests, right? Um, just because that was what was demanded. So, so I, I think the fundamental question with Agile is what are you doing? And hopefully it's just one or maybe two things because then you can really get, get down to that, you know, get to answering that question um, and get to work in the right way. Well, and, you know, the role of the Scrum Master, um, you know, it's to people that aren't familiar, it, it's a funny sounding uh, title, but it's really meant to have someone involved that's going to clear roadblocks that right. is going to make sure that, that the project keeps moving forward because there can be roadblocks. Um, and if yeah. the developers are stuck somewhere because they don't have a piece of software or they don't have approval somewhere, or something's going on that's breaking or there's bad communication within the team or, you know, sometimes it, it takes someone that's, uh, that's going to basically coach through it or that's basically going to advocate for them to the outside world and say, look, you know, the, either we, we get, <laughs> either we do we X get, or we get X or, yeah. um, or, or this is not going to move along the way that, that everyone's hoping. Right. You know, those sorts of concepts I think are, are really interesting toward having a feedback loop that's intended to, to stop things from breaking down. Um, and I, I, cause breakdown is, is intrinsically the problem, you know, when you think about a really big project, so, you know, the, a lot of the apps that we all have on our Androids and iPhones and, and such, uh, you know, we get pushed out updates for, you know, these large popular apps, whether it's a social media platform like Facebook or an email system like Gmail, whatever it might be. Frequently, and you can easily see how there's a team behind it using this kind of methodology. <laughs> right. They prioritize yeah. what the tasks are, yeah. and they're constantly releasing things that are considered a value. They don't have to wait for one big release every night as you update. You know, as you sleep, your phone is updating. You know, installing some some things while it's charging. Um, this is all quite natural, and I'm I'm with you when you get down to those smaller website projects. Uh, depending on the size of the project, sometimes it can be difficult to have a team dedicated to one project. Let's say it's right, right. you know it's a project that's two hundred hours of work, and there's going to be some gaps in there where maybe you're waiting on the uh, the client to give approvals or provide some kind of uh, you know whether it's content or you know something along the way. Uh, right, right. You know, well, what's that team going to be doing if, if there's no other projects? Uh, that they're working on. And so, you know, you can imagine that um, that this breaks down for a lot of agencies that deal with SMB and mid-market, and um, it, it can be harder to dedicate to just one single project, but yeah, it doesn't mean yeah. that the methodology doesn't work. Um, it just means that there's a little bit more juggling to happen in the process. Right. Uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I, and I think that at that point, like you say, you know, that the the way that the, the a lot of the higher level books and documentation on this process are written, they don't necessarily start with that as the prime example of having to juggle multiple projects. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it, you know, it's difficult. When I was, um, at one point when I was at working at a, a, a big bank, um, I, they, I, I primarily worked with the .NET stack, C Sharp, um, Microsoft. They switched their um, technology stack to Java and Oracle. 
right? Where I just didn't have a lot of experience. Um, so for a while, I was nothing but a scrum master. Um, and I was frustrated because if, if you're doing your job right as a scrum master, you can be done by noon, right? You have your stand up yeah. in the morning. And if, you, you, if you're good at getting rid of roadblocks and you've cleared away and people have you know, sort of gotten the team established, um, there are points where I kind of had nothing to do. Um, that was a little frustrating. And you always have the problem, though, even if you've got, you know, a, a several teams all working together on a real big project or one team working on a small project that might not take all their time. Um, you, you always have the issue of, I don't want to call it downtime, but sort of lost time. Because one of the principles of Agile is that you don't try to meet a deliverable six months down the road. You try to meet a deliverable every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Or, or three or four. Yeah, I would say said, two they, weeks. They would, whatever you, know, you the, said, the, yeah. The term being um, I, I, sprints, whether it's right. every week or whether it's every month, that you've you basically set out and say these are going to be our deliverables in that time period, and right. um, in, in not the, that they're immovable, but you're working in earnest toward those, and you've prioritized them, so you know, right. you know, we really need to knock out A, B, and C top priorities, and then we'll keep working down um, the list for this time block for this sprint. Right, right. And with that, you're always delivering value. There's always something that's going to come off of the, the to-do list that's of, of the most importance. Right. And one of the issues, though, is that once you've delivered, if your sprint's not over, what do you do? And if you have a sprint and you need to deliver things, what do you do about things that you can't deliver in a sprint? Like, how do you research a new technology or research something new? That's kind of an ongoing problem, I've noticed. Um, the way I've always solved it is that you just make clear on average, this team is going to deliver a certain amount of work, mm-hmm. um, certain, you know, however it breaks down. One of the reasons why you do agile is to break down tasks into smaller pieces. One of the things that ends up is you break down tasks into smaller pieces. And so you end up just because it's the nature of communication and the way you're sort of coached to talk about things when you have to get things done in smaller deliverables, um, you end up sort of setting a, uh, a pace for your team so people can predict your pace and it might be 20 tasks. If that's how they break down, it might be five stories. If that's how it just depends how you break down. Yeah. Your you know, some jobs people you have to use do. points and say, look, you know, our velocity, this team can get 40 points knocked right. out in, in a two week right, right. sprint in a two week right. time period. And, you know, and, and you figure out then that you break down those tasks and you say, look, you know, uh, I've I've heard it talked about like you know everything you know from rocks. So you've got your boulders, your big tasks, yeah, yeah, yeah. That are there are a lot of points, and then you've got your you know your little uh, you know gravel or sand that fills in between those rocks, right, right. Um, and so that you've got your big tasks, and you've got other things to fill in around it as you're waiting on feedback or there's other right. things going on, right. Um, you know, and and so you you stay pretty full, and ideally, um, in a lot of cases, if you've run out of tasks, if you've you know you beat expectation you just grab more from the top of the uh the of the list, list of you know of, of what else is going to happen that doesn't always work out but yeah so one of the objections to that so so typically in agile you'll have two weeks and you'll set your deliverables and you're going to deliver three things the goal is that you go into production um with something you can't always do that because you might not be in a situation where you go into production that often um but, you know, one of the th- reasons why, one of the virtues of Agile is you discipline the expectations of the business owner, <laughs> right? Because mm. when you set expectations about velocity, uh, velocity, you you set the expectations of the business owner that they're, you're going to get typically X amount of visible work done, right? And mm. it's going to be represented somehow, 
in a story somehow. And what that allows you to do is, and, and if you're, I think, doing it well, you can do this. What it allows like a scrum master to do is advocate for the team and say to the business owner, look, we're not going to get as much done these next two sprints. That's because we need to research how to do this thing that we probably will use. We need a prototype, though, and we need time away from just handling the deliverable just to work on this. Mm-hmm. So you tell people, this is going to be our velocity for the next two sprints. We just have to cut back, or we have to cut back because we have to deploy things, or we have to cut back because there's some other priority or uh, for some other project. Or if you have juggling multiple projects or multiple clients, you say, okay, we're going to keep working on this for, for eight sprints, let's say, to get your project out for client one, but we're going to have to slow our velocity down here just because we have other needs we need to fill, which happen to be client two and client three, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's the real virtue one of the real virtues of Agile is that it disciplines expectations and allows them to reset on a regular basis, you know, typically a two-week sprint, but one week or three weeks or whatever you have. And I think that when I say discipline the expectations, it also, you know, that some of it's just making, making com- communication something more than just words. Yeah. You know, communication is a behavior. It's, it's, it's something that you can, it's actions that you can see. In two weeks, you will have this. It's something you can like point to. It's not just we're saying we'll get this far. We'll point to these deliverables. And yes, it's less than you did the last sprint, but it's going to be a little bit more a couple sprints when we get back rolling on this after we finish our research. So it, it you know, Agile is fundamentally, I think, solving a communication project problem. Um, and part of that is communicating to the business owner what to expect in the amount of time that you're taking to, to get something done. I think that's that's really well stated. It's not how I always think of it, but I, right. I like it. And it, in terms of those communications, it's also, you know, you're treating the client as a stakeholder in the project. Right. And Absolutely. so they're yes. giving feedback, but there's understanding that there are other forces at play. And while they're stakeholders, right. um, they don't necessarily understand exactly, you know, what their needs are or how to get there themselves. And they're relying right. on you to, um, to assist with that more technical side of it. And, you know, so when talking about points, you know, they're, they're often talked about as story points. And that's because, uh, you know, you're breaking down the deliverables into stories into, okay, let's not just say we need a feature that does X. Let's actually talk about what the user interaction is going to be and what, what it's going to look like on the back end. And, you know, what does it actually need to do? Um, Because so often that's a breaking point that, you know, you read a proposal and it says this project is going to have, you know, reward points. And the client thinks that that means that there's a reward point system that's going to work between their retail store's point of sale software and their e-commerce website, right. and that those are synced and work. And that's not, you know, the e- they're just the living, yeah. you know, in, in, in the yeah. in the sales process that was never understood. And so, so breaking things down into, um, you know, in, into better communication. Uh, certainly, I th- I think elevates a lot of the process outside of of what. <laughs> of what some experiences can be. Um, and, you know, in, in so many industries, you know, the, you know, everybody talks about you, you can, you got to pick two out of three, you could have quality, you could have speed, yeah, yeah. you can have price, you can have cost. Yeah. The, I think that this process is really meant to help to, uh, to help to balance those, to bring them in into right. balance um, in a way that with a waterfall method or a more traditional method, basically, 
you know, you've locked in more or less an ex usually an expectation of cost for sure and speed most likely um, for when that's going to be delivered by for, you know, because it's a fixed project. Right, right. Um, you know, at, at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that quality wise that, like you say, when there's a misunderstanding somewhere, you know, how many scope change forms are you going to fill out and, and how happy are you <laughs> yeah. going to be yeah. with that process? And, right. you know, I, I think that side by side with that. So I've spent a lot of time in e-commerce and, you know, it's some of this is just the level of complexity of different systems interacting. So you say, I'm going to, we're going to build this Magento site and we're going to use these seven extensions to meet the deliverables. And it turns <laughs> out that three of the extensions don't work together. Um, right. Now, what do you do? Is the deliverable just that you installed them and you handed over the project and the thing doesn't work? Or do you go back to the drawing board and reevaluate? It's the same way that, you know, you plan to integrate uh, or to, let's say to migrate some data over and there are issues with the data. Do you just move it over as is and, you know, leave problems mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. do you resolve them? You know, things that you don't necessarily anticipate um, before the project starts the same, you know, you go to integrate that point of sale system and you figure out that there are some additional needs there that weren't uncovered because you never really talked to the team that deals with the retail stores and under, you know, and, um, and get all of their particular requirements because those were never disclosed fully um, right, until they right. see it and understand, they don't know what, what they haven't told you yet. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. You know, so th there's this whole hodgepodge and being able to continually reprioritize and say, look, you know, we don't really need gift cards for launch, but we really need those reward points. Um, yeah, so le yeah. let's, let's put more time into fixing the reward point system to work the way that we need. And let's leave off this other thing for phase two or whatever. And, you know, we'll try to stay within the original budgeting, but and the original timeline, but something's got to give somewhere. Um, getting people to understand that, that they're basically buying labor and expertise. And it's, it's more like you're their, their in-house employees um, that, yeah. you know, we're all human beings, that there's a finite, <laughs> you know, we can only do what we can do. Right. Uh, and that things right. are in constant flux. Um, that's, uh, and I, I think teams that do a good job of sort of getting out in front of that, it's almost the risk analysis for the project. Where right. can this project go wrong? Well, if you don't hand us the content in a timely fashion, or, you know, if you don't, you know, make certain, often, you know, as much as things could go wrong on the web development side or something else, uh, you know, the uh, clients understanding that they're stakeholders and that they play just as important a role in making sure right. that, um, right. that the deliverable is good and timely right. and right. cost effective. It, it's, uh, <laughs> it's tantamount to success. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Agile has a way of kicking up dust. That, that's really what it's good for. It, it forces issues out into the open because you have to communicate all the time. And again, all the rituals are about communication, really. Um, you know, one of the rituals typically for a scrum team is a daily stand-up. Everyone gets up, all the, on the team gets up and says what they're going to do that day, whether they have issues, whether they didn't get something done, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, if there's issues, the scrum master takes them away or otherwise people get together and try to solve them. And, you know, if, it's not so much that you have to have a stand-up even though that's standard issue requirement, you say you're a scrum team, you got to have a stand-up. It's that if you're communicating, you're going to have one anyway. You're going to want one. 
You're going to say, we got to communicate. We got to talk about this. We got to get this out in the open. Yeah. Because and, you, know, you have to be heads ritual- down and actually get development done or whatever else, get research done, get whatever needs to be done, done database work, you know, yeah. whatever it may be. Um, and so if you don't set a time to check in and see where everybody is and if somebody's stuck and if right. things need to shift or whatever's going on, then yeah, you're, uh, you're not really helping each other. I mean, I, right. ideally a scrum team, one of these teams is, is self-sufficient. It's made up of the people that are going to be required to get the work done and, right. you know, without having to lean on other teams or other departments or other things outside right. of getting feedback from stakeholders and, and that sort of thing. So you know, and I, I, one of the things that I've always loved about it is getting to the point of, you know, so you go through the process, you figure out how many points or however you want to break this up, you know, big tasks, little tasks, they go into some sort of a backlog where they're prioritized um, so that, you know, we know what's the most important in terms of uh, bringing value to the stakeholders and, and, and so on and so forth the team knocks those out, but then there's a, a retrospective, um, right, a po- right. post-mortem, if you will, yeah. uh, you know, that, that you're going to go back and you're going to take a look and you're going to see, you know, basically a review, what went well, what didn't go well, how can we do this differently above and beyond just pure QA, pure quality assurance testing. Right. Um, the goal is for the team to continually get better. And right. I think that sometimes uh, you know, folks don't want to acknowledge that when they're hiring experts, often at a premium hourly rate, <laughs> yeah. uh, that their projects are custom. And like you say, you know, like I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, you put these integrations together that haven't been put together before and the outcome is unique and the work that needs to be done to address that is unique. Yeah. Um, that yeah. people don't realize that they've become te- a form of tech company, whether they realized it or not that this is not all prefab that they're often dealing with, that it's the same with design work. You know, if you don't approve the first draft of a design, it doesn't mean that the designer did a bad job. Um, You know, that that often that's what it takes. There's going to be some back and forth. There's going to be feedback. Um, You need to be able to provide, you know, clear, concise feedback. And when you come back a few days later, because you showed it to some other people in your team who felt totally differently, uh, you know, on, yeah, on, on yeah. the client side. And, and now that, you know, and so now this client is asking for you to go back to the drawing board again. Well, you can go backwards on approved designs, you can do things, but there, it will have an impact. Uh, right, will, right. Nothing comes from nothing. Um, yeah, so th- I think that's all part of the, for me, I, I've, I've, I just spouted out a whole bunch of things there, but uh, you know, that, that feedback loop, that learning and growing, that understanding that this is not about um, things always being perfect, but it's about things continually getting better, more efficient. And in tech, there's always new tech. (laughs) Yeah. 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 If you want to be cutting edge, you're going to have to, you know, be open to the fact that, there's going to be some learning happening. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It, um, you know, retrospectives can be tricky because one of the problems that you might have with a mature team is that, you know, there's sayings about every time your team has a retrospective, the idea is after the sprint's over and you've done your deliverables or haven't, if you failed, you talk about, you know, what you did in the sprint, what you could do better, um, if you met all your deliverables, what went well, what didn't, what can you improve? If you didn't meet all your deliverables, same thing. Um, 
there's times though with mature teams where you know the retrospective is happening as your the problems are cropping up right because you're communicating well and you trust each other and the business owner trusts you right um you know likewise with like uh you know typically you know again there's a rule of thumb that you meet with the business a couple times you know maybe 10 percent of the time in the sprint five percent something like that to talk about requirements right um just requirements of what they need and getting ready for the next sprint and what's their priorities because they might have changed and things like that um you know, if you're working closely with a business owner and they trust you and it's a mature relationship, you might not need that time, right? Um, but again, the principle is you have things like a retrospective and you have certain rituals about requirement sessions and and demos for the business owner because it forces you to have, you know, it creates a space for communication because communication is the most important thing. Um, you've got to make sure that you're communicating constantly and the rituals all are meant to do that. And uh, even when it runs in conflict to the quote unquote right way to do agile, um, the point is if you're communicating, you're probably doing it right. Um, even if your retrospective only lasts 10 minutes because you've already said all you had to say over the previous week, right? Which can happen, right? Mm -hmm. If something goes wrong and you can't deliver, you might have hashed it out pretty well already. And the, the retrospective says, yeah, we talked it over and why QA couldn't get something done was partly because engineers didn't get it to them fast enough or what, whatever, you know, or the engineers took on too much and we shouldn't take on that much, whatever, whatever reason it happens to be. No, I mean, you know, at the same time, having a closed team working on a project, I think also lends itself to a little bit more success with some of these things, you know, when you're talking yeah. about, and so we deal with this on in web hosting, um, right. we have a support ticket queue, we answer extremely quickly. Um, that's part of why people come, you know, and, and choose jet rails and the, the thinking there is that you're asking for something that's a more finite need um, that a support technician can nine out of 10 times knock out themselves quickly. You know, we've got really high level techs that are, are at the front lines. And so the fastest thing to do is to just have someone there for you that, you know, first available person should be able to assist you and address it. And we built a team around that. Um, on the other hand, when we're onboarding a customer, that's that project of onboarding of uh, set, standing up the hosting environment, mm -hmm. getting all the files and databases migrated over, testing, adjusting, configuring, optimizing, um, and especially when we're talking about auto scaling environments, some of the larger environments, and uh, you know, with, with big spends, spending thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars a month in web hosting, um, where we really want to work on optimizing, in, you know, not just for things like s security and speed and, and what have you, but for cost. Uh, where we do not, um, you know, want them to be just spending more money than they should be or need to be right, right. on bandwidth or raw infrastructure because we we aren't caching enough or we aren't um, compressing enough or uh, leveraging mm -hmm. certain systems well enough. We'd much rather have a dedicated person when we can uh, that's going to be uh, assigned to that project that's going to help see it from start to finish. And I think that that's also something that sometimes uh you know gets misunderstood that you know there are a lot of projects out there where it's just first available um and so mm -hmm. first available dev is going to work on this and, you know more often than not when you're dealing with an agile team there's a team that's assigned to the project from the get-go they're going to see it right. through fruition they understand what was done previously going back to a to a previous statement of yours 
they, right. they understand a lot of that history of at least whatever the finite project is. In a really big project, right. there might be multiple teams working on multiple feature sets or things that are happening, you know, that, you know, let's say overall up into the Facebook app, right? You know, it's not just one. I can't right, right. imagine how many scrum teams Facebook has <laughs> or the equivalent thereof, whatever, yeah. exactly whatever methodology or, or terminology is in use. Um, so, you know, I, I, there are concepts at play that really, really work well uh, for this particular industry. And I think sometimes it, it takes some education um, into the value, but once you do it, it feels pretty good. So think about that. Are, are there situations that you've seen where, you know, where trying to adopt this type of methodology fell apart, where this didn't work for a particular group, um, you know, where people didn't want to work together in scrum teams or within an organization, maybe there wasn't buy-in from the leadership and, and it, it could never really uh, amount to much. Um, well, <laughs> you, have you run into any train wrecks. Well, I mean, there have been uh, there have been train wrecks. Uh, they weren't necessarily because of Agile. Um, they were sort of coincidental, um, sort of dying with Agile, not because of Agile. Um, it's not generally been the methodology that's been the problem. Um, although here's well, I you know now that I'm thinking about it. You've kind of brought some things to memory. Um, Sorry, I, I know. No, I no, try okay. to keep some of those buried really deep. Yeah, I know, I do. Like most I do. of us, but I have a way um, of surfacing them. <laughs> yeah, uh, like I said, it kicks up dust. Um, so I, the, the problem wasn't so much agile. And the problem wasn't so much that people didn't have a buy-in. It's that the communication with the right stakeholders wasn't consistent. It was, we, I was with a consulting from not Leventus, a different one. Um, and the process was to go from the team to people in managing the people we were making the product for, because it was an internal application and a lot of back and forth with people on our consulting company were there every day. So the problem was you, you had roadblocks to communication. So we find out as we're working, thinking we're iterating in the way that the client or the ultimate customer, the ultimate user needs. But, you know, the, there was a breakdown, sort of a game of telephone, mm -hmm. you know, where they didn't really, you know, they weren't really telling the person they were dealing with everything. So we didn't get all the information from the person they were dealing with at their own company. And that person wasn't dealing with us directly. He was going through sort of a project manager, like a not project, not project manager, like, like, like a, a sort of a, mm -hmm. a so client sort manager, of account right? manager. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was really that, that breakdown. So it wasn't really that we didn't do things right in three week sprints. It's that they thought they were going to get one thing in a three week sprint, but they never spoke to us directly about it. You know, it was, just, yeah. or they did, but it was, um, you know, it was, it was sort of like they weren't like fully open with us. And so we couldn't really be fully open with our answers, you know, and it was because there were people trying to manage the relationship. Um, so that, that I think was more of a consulting problem. Um, just, just a client, you know, client consultant type problem. So um, I, I rewatched with some coworkers virtually uh, the film Office Space recently. And <laughs> uh, yeah, see, yeah, okay, yeah. you know. Okay. And, yeah. And one of the, and there's just so many lines there that, and especially I think for folks that um, have worked in these industries for long enough to remember 
um, you know, a lot of the references. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because uh, there are things, uh, you know, that, that don't necessarily translate as well, um, you know, for for the younger generations now. Um, there's some almost inside jokes for, for some of us, but there's a character who has to describe what his purpose is and what value he brings to this yeah. larger company. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and he's there sitting there describing, well, you know, I translate things from the customer um, to the engineers and, you right, know, right. And, and that, you know, basically, you know, the engineers, the, the, uh, the suggestion there. Uh, being given is that they're not really, you know, as good at communication and that that's not who customers want to talk to and so on. Yeah. And yeah. somewhere in there, of course, this is all, you know, a big comedy. And, you know, so they're talking about how, well, you know, how many customers do you talk to? Well, I don't actually talk to the customer. My secretary does that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and he's sitting there trying to explain how he brings value and it's extremely difficult for him. And yes. I think that yeah. sometimes, you know, we forget that, uh, the game of telephone applies everywhere. Um, that yeah. there is some beauty in the simplicity of having the developers actually be able to talk to the customer, the stakeholders, um, yeah. be able to actually understand what their goals are, ask them direct questions. Maybe not on a daily basis, you know. Maybe not even on a weekly basis, but on an ongoing basis, um, or yeah. as needed to to have that it, going. It, it needs to be open too, and they can't hold back and say not tell you things because someone said, "Well, don't bring this up because that'll get them off track." We want them to do this, you know. It has to be open communication, right? Um, and you try to facilitate that, and you know, meetings, regular meetings. Maybe you're right. Maybe once a week, every couple of weeks, or just usually when it's real. When Agile's really worked, we've had a very good representative of the end customer. And when we, it hasn't worked, we've had a poor representative of the end customer. And usually the good representative is one of the end customers, someone who just sort of, you know, takes a leadership role, right? Mm -hmm. um, they, you know, they manage a team of seven people who do something and they, there's three other managers and this one, one of the managers is, they've been appointed to be the representative for, for all the teams. And that, that's usually when it works. Yeah. When it's kind of someone like a project manager from the outside who only sees you know, units of work and doesn't really see the work itself. That's when it's always been a problem. That's when we've always had issues. And, you know, the people, it's like almost, you know, the, the phrase, eat your own dog food, right? You know, the, the people yeah, that yeah. are going to have to use this, um, that yeah. know what their trials and tribulations are, you know, what their challenges are on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, you know, if you don't pull together the stakeholders in, in a proper way on the stakeholder side, this is on the client, right? You know, because they right, have right. whoever's representing them, you know, that you as the consultancy or agency, you're, you're not talking to 20 people in their company on an ongoing basis, but right. they've got a, so let's say in e-commerce, you know, there's, let's say a shipping manager in the company. There's, there are merchandisers, there are marketers, all of these people have input into, the operations uh, of this website and what their needs and what their goals are. And if no one right, is representing right. any of that, again, you know, you get to the point of deployment and something's not, not addressed Something's properly. It all whack. back right. to communication, right? You, know, you, right? you hit the nail on the head earlier. Yep. Um, it's yeah. It, 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 it's about communicating things clearly and openly and sort of setting expectations. Um, we had, um, one project, when I say one project, one, one group I was in where we really got Agile working well 
is our teams were very good. Um, you know, the teams functioned as a group of six or eight, and we had several teams all working on different things, but in the same sort of area. Um, but, you know, we, we, it was sort of decided that we needed to see the customers more because we were in one office in Chicago and they were in a, another office out in, out in the suburbs, um, all our users. And we really needed to go work with them and talk to them because we were very good when someone got sent us a bug or requirement and taking it down or breaking it down, delivering it in two weeks and doing all that, right? And so a few of us went out to the company, to the, 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 other, the other office, and just sort of sat and watched them work for a day. It's kind of all we did. And that was very valuable because we could see them work. And we realized this one area where we were always finding bugs and our QA teams were always saying, well, this still doesn't work right. So no, we got to get this right for the customer. No one really used that feature. <laughs> like No one actually did it. It was this very complicated way to do on the fly queries of data. And they didn't use it. They just used, they had eight standard queries that we gave. They just used those. They were fine with that. They needed to do anything they might put in an Excel. So what they really needed was a way to get stuff in Excel and then they could you know, slice and dice it. They didn't need us to do it on there. And, you know, it, it they, took, they didn't it took need actually you going to out build there. this big custom, you know, exactly, uh, exactly. They didn't need it. Module. They were fine. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, we always, there's always room for revelations. And this was at a place where, you know, people were generally happy with what we produced and, and, you know, they were happy that we cleared out bugs and we fixed things for them. But um, there were a lot of things that we were sort of self-reporting and worried about and concerned with that just made no difference to them. You know, and then, you know, they didn't really notice it because they didn't use it. They didn't see, you know, every month or so when we'd release that there'd been this improvement to this module because they didn't use it, you know? So it was, it was interesting like that. So. Yeah, no, I, th I think that that does a pretty good job of, um, of lining up why these kinds of project management styles like, like, you know, agile, um, yeah, have become yeah. more prevalent, um, because you really, in order to not just meet the expectation of the invoice uh, of, right. of some fixed statement of work, you really have to continually spend time understanding uh, what the customer's real goals are. Um, and those mm -hmm. goals are in flux and they're changing. And, yeah. you know, it's really, if you can keep your eye on that ball, um, you can have a much deeper, much longer-term relationship with a client, and um, and and really shine in a different way. Um, instead of being a commodity or, or v completely transactional, you're an extension of their business. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. when you know a lot of these things that we've talked about, I think you know when if you start just talking about with uh, you know with a business. A, I'll stick with e-com for a second, a retailer, a, mm -hmm. a wholesaler, you know, a, a manufacturer, a, whatever kind of brand, um, or the same would apply, let's say, you know, what would we deal with um, on CMS systems like Drupal and WordPress, whether it's a college or university, something in higher education, whether it's, you know, a hospital or something in, in health, um, they, if you just start talking about scrum masters and story points, and, you know, there's a lot of buzzwords um, they get yeah, put pushed yeah. around in the agile world. Um, they're going to pull back, uh, and yeah. they're going to be like, whoa, "Whoa, whoa!" Like, you know, we don't know what you're. You know, it's bad enough we have to learn all these e-commerce, you know, conversion rate optimization. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, okay, yeah. and and you know, deal with all of these other things. But you know, n now you want to get us to be experts in that? No, thank you. 
But if yeah. you just tell them, look, you know, we've got communication here to keep the lines of communication open. This is going to be your point of contact. They're going to continually make sure that whatever your highest priorities are are our highest priorities. Um, yeah, we're going to work yeah. like an extension of your team in that way. And you, if you present it well, who wouldn't want it, right? You know, I mean, yeah. and, and yeah. if they don't almost... Is that really the best client? Is that really going to lead down yeah. the best path if they if they want your uh, your expertise to be completely commoditized? Yeah. When you're yeah. when you know you're there to work uh, as a managed service provider um, and to bring them more unique value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know, I, I think that's sometimes you know uh, the interesting part that more people know about what they want than what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, yeah, you're right. I think when you explain things to people, both like you said, in terms of communication, but also in terms of, well, what do you actually have to do? Like, what are you doing? What's the point of whatever you want to build? How does it help you? What does your business need to do? If you put it in that sense, and then you go back to some of the, the, the stories and some of the research and so on that sort of, you know, some of the writings that sort of led various people to develop the Agis meta- methodology that led, you know, groups of business consultants to consider, let's put all this knowledge together into a package mm-hmm. so we can explain it to people. When you go back to those original stories, um, then I think people get it. So if you tell the story about Habitat for Humanity, and building a house, a prefab house, then they get it. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the story of, you know, one of the stories was, um, you know, it, you know I, at, at, at Pearl Harbor, right? All of a sudden, everyone's at war. We had to get, you know, they needed to get the boat out. So guys just started showing up the docks and started doing work, right? And so that was how that happened was well studied during and after the war. And those studies made it to various business schools. And people at those business schools are the ones who started to develop, you know, methodologies about how to be productive. So when you go back to stories like that, in stories that you have from your own, like, you know, working at that publishing company, all the chaos and putting barcodes on books and how hard that was for a month. When you, when you come at it like that, then they'll understand. We're going to break it down into tasks. We're going to deliver something every two weeks. We're going to have to meet with you a couple times a week. We'll set the times. We'll keep, a, you know, we'll keep a time contract of an hour, an hour and a half, whatever it is. Then they get it. I think you're right. If you start calling them backlog groomings and retrospectives and, and you know, deliverables, then they don't get it. But if you say, okay, we're going to have this much done here. And then you sort of explain as you go what the terminology is. Or if you get one person on that team out of the 20 people you're building it for to just say, okay, here's what a story is and here's how you write it, right? Um, then then I think you're in good shape. I think I think because it it has to go back, though, to something practical because the methodology doesn't work because it was well constructed and there's nice terminology and it's exciting to talk about. It was constructed because it's what works in real life. You know, when you have a crisis and you have a problem, what works in real life is people getting together, figuring out what they need need to do, breaking things down into smaller tasks, appreciating unknowns, Mm -hmm. respecting unknowns, um, respecting, um, you know, respecting the amount of time they have to get something done. Um, and how you can't conceive of the final product. You got to conceive of it in steps. And, and that's, that's, that I think is what's important. Yeah. You know, and the concepts, you know, I, which, which I come back to it, it's really simple stuff, you know, in, yeah. you know, back to what I do when I'm not taping podcast episodes, uh, right. you know, in, in web hosting, there are uh, vendors that provide a commodity. They provide infrastructure. 
Um, in some cases, we use them as backbones. We can host people on AWS, on mm -hmm. DigitalOcean. You can go straight to these, but for the most part, you're not really getting a service layer team. Um, you're getting raw infrastructure. Uh, and the same with a lot of the tools that we use for clients, whether it's Cloudflare or Securi or Sansec or, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, it's how you set these things up and how you maintain them and manage them and monitor them and um, yeah. and what you do with them and how you pull them together that that brings value. And so, you know, one of the, th there are a number of reasons why people switch web hosting. Um, support issues, loading speed, uh, you know, scalability and being able to handle bursts of traffic. Like th this is all common Um one of the most common reasons in 2020 that we run into simply just comes down to the environment being able to be tailored to what the user needs. Mm -hmm. And I would say that some of our, our best feeding grounds, as it turns out, are web hosts that have more prefabricated environments where your website or application has to work with, uh, yeah, yeah. with what that environment can do as opposed to the environment um, being architected around what your application is meant to do. And so that, you know, causes a lot of friction, a lot of headaches, a lot of problems for dev teams. And eventually, you know, we went with a lot of dev partners that will say, look, you know, we've, we've tried to get this working over here. Um, yeah, let's, let's move this over to jet rails and we know it's going to work better. Um, we know yeah, that yeah. we're, we're going to clear roadblocks that way. Um, that that's not what everyone is looking for parent. I mean, you know, we've got no shortage of competition out there, right? It's, right. uh, but we know that it's what works best for us for, mm -hmm. um, for the business that we're trying to operate in terms of high levels of customer success, high levels of retention, um, and just, you know, overall, uh, you know, a strong reputation. Mm -hmm. It's, easier to provide a commodity it's a lot harder to have uh to have you know low attrition and and strong uh you know reviews and reputation um and, and accolades providing a commodity mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know who likes their cable company right it's infrastructure you know but it's very hard to to be really in, in that uh in that winning position so i i think that it absolutely you know while more people think about these sorts of things when it comes to uh, to web design and web development and um, the things that, that a team like Leventus uh, has mm -hmm. expertise in um, and does day in and day out. I think that in a lot of the tech world, it's kind of understood that, uh, that a lot of these principles still apply um, regardless of what our deliverables are. Um, and we can't always apply necessarily like, you know, a, a, a you know, we might have more of an agile philosophy. We can't always apply maybe a, a scrum methodology to everything right. that we do. Right, but, right. Um, but the, at the heart of all of it, it comes right back to, and I've used the word over and over again, bringing value to the stakeholders, mm -hmm. to the clients. Mm -hmm. And if we can always keep a focus on doing that, um, then we're doing, for sure, we're doing a lot right. Um, and, uh, you know, that's why we, we like working with, with like-minded teams, uh, you know, right, right. so many great partners like, like Leventus that, that, um, that fit that, that, uh, that, or, or maybe break the mold as opposed to fitting the mold. Yeah, we want to stick yeah. with that agile yeah. kind of thing. I, I shouldn't yeah. put any of us it, into a, a prefab mold, but, you know, this has been, um, a pleasure, uh, Matt, any final words of wisdom before we wrap the episode? 
Um, I think just, you know, I think just understanding the key is, is, you know, agile forces issues into the open so they can be communicated. That fundamentally gets past almost everyone's complaints about it. Because if you say on your team, um, we're going to impose an agile methodology, um, we're going to start using sprints and we're going to have scrum masters and so on and so forth. There's going to be a good portion of people are going to complain about buzzwords and fads and how annoying it is to go to a story and how you can't do what you do in two weeks. It just won't work and so on and so forth. If you get people to understand the purpose of it, then I think a lot of those complaints and objections sort of fall away. And people start to realize there's a value in communicating so often and and so, you know, in such a certain way. And all of a sudden they realize, well, okay, I guess as an engineer, I would have liked to have spent a month just building this framework, but probably it's better if I do it, you know, I put up a prototype in two weeks and show it to everybody because I might build this framework and it might be crazy and the people actually have to build with it, the other engineers on other teams uh, might not like it, right? Mm. So it forces them to communicate what they want to do. And it forces, you know, business to say, well, we've got a couple of weeks, we're going to get set up, we're going to get started, we're going to start building an infrastructure for you about how we build our app and deploy it to a website and so on. And we're going to get the first stories rolling with the one or two people to come talk to you, a QA maybe and a business analyst, and we're going to talk to you about what you want. And they might say, well, we know what we want. We put it in the proposal. We have it all for you. Why can't you just start working? But then they see, you know, in two weeks, they raise a lot of questions about exactly what to do on the website, whether or not you have a gift card, like you were saying, whether or not you have point reward points. And so people start to see that that forcing all these rituals and forcing all this communication and forcing you to come to decisions that are going to be maybe judged in two weeks, it really is better overall. It's not really the rituals that matter. It's it's the fact that you're forcing issues out in the open. That to me is what the value is for Agile. And it's something probably you should be doing all the time anyway. Uh, <laughs> you know? If you've got lies a the club, rub, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's not so special, really, when you think about it. If you've just if you're just sort of a lone consultant working on your own, you've got to be talking to the client on a regular basis. You don't have a BA, you don't have a scrum master, it's just you but you still got to force out in the open what the client needs and you've got to force them to think about what they need. And if you've got, you know, if you're managing a team of 40, all working on a big project for some big company, you've got to force those into smaller teams, working in smaller groups and, and, and smaller tasks just to force all these things out in the open. That to me is, that to me is, is fundamentally what to remember when people start throwing out the buzzwords for agile and things, that's really what they want. They want Mm -hmm. things out in the open communicated and dealt with handily. I don't want to insult anyone who I've done business with in the past, but I don't think I've ever quite seen an an RFP, uh, a request for proposal in the e-commerce industry (laughs) that answered my questions. No, Um, no, it won't. It won't. You know, uh, if I was going to shop for a new house and, uh, you know, was going to go to a contractor to build it from the ground up, I don't think that my list of requirements would answer all of all the contractors' questions no. either. No. That no. there's a reason why you're hiring experts um, yeah. and communication yeah. absolutely yeah. is key. So, Matt, thank you so much for coming on uh, the podcast here. Thank I, you. I hope fun. we get to yeah, chat like this again sometime soon. Um, for our listeners, um, Feel free to leave feedback wherever uh, you find us, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Facebook, at JetRails. Um, we always love to hear from you. 
And uh, you, know, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to find podcasts. Uh, we hope to hear from you soon. Happy selling and stay safe out there.